Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and legal ops thought leaders from across the ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. On this episode, I sit down with fellow Clock board member and head of legal operations at Delta Airlines, Laura Jedinay, to announce Clock's inaugural DEIB, or Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging Council. This council will be led by Laura and consists of 14 volunteer members who share a common ethos, boldly pursuing equity, both internally inside the clock org and externally out into the community and ecosystem. While we couldn't fit all 14 of the council members on the podcast, Laura brought a few of them on to represent, preview their thoughts, and swap some stories on their passion for building DEI functions and bringing about change. What a great group of passionate leaders who are no strangers to being uncomfortable and leaving their environments better than they found them. I can't wait to see what's to come from the DEIB Council. Enjoy the episode. I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Laura Jedonet, Head of Legal Ops and Administration Director at Delta Airlines, my airline of choice. We have Kanur Chopra, Vice President of Legal Operations at Elevate, my law company of choice, Mark Allen, Director of Legal Ops and Strategy at Zillow. I'm just going to keep going on my theme. I love Zillow. And you guys beat Redfin in the search results always. So I'm proud of you, Mark, making it happen over there. And last but not least, Sean Gross, Director of Pricing and Legal Project Management at Constanti. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for think? having us. You guys are representing the group today. But Laura, open us up with, this is a newer thing for us at Clock, starting a couple councils. This is one of our n- newest babies. How big's the council? How many applicants were there? I heard you had a few applications to go through. So, you know, we have 6,000 clock members. We received 107 applications from members who raised their hand to be a part of this important clock DEIB journey. And with the 107, we interviewed 37 members and selected 14. So 14 members across the ecosystem, one including the three who are represented here from a law firm, uh, vendor, and in-house, as well as one from the military and a law student. So we're super excited about this new ecosystem. And I love that we pulled people from all corners of the ecosystem. It's just like our membership. What were the qualities that you and the team looked at to cast this wonderful group of DEIB council folks? What inspired me about the candidates that we looked for was someone who shared a level of passion for DEIB. And while we interviewed over 100 candidates, there was some passion, but those that really exuded the passion, it was no question about it. Sean and I, Sean Sanford, who is the head of membership at Clock and also the liaison for the Clock DEIB Council. She joined me as we interviewed these candidates. And I tell you, when we were done with some of them, three of them are represented here today, we felt like shouting. I mean, it was amazing. 
So those who had a story about DEIB, those who have experienced it on some level, whether it be on a racism level or just in the community on other levels and different variations of DE&I that we thought was important to bring to the Clark members and represent everyone across the spectrum. Passion. When Laura, you were saying passion and we cast for passion, passion means to suffer or endure from the Latin verb patior. And I'm obsessed with that concept because if you translate that directly, Sean Kanoor, Mark, that means you have suffered or endured some kind of journey that has to do with belonging. Passion, sometimes people think is always like a super positive thing, which it is. It's an outgrowth from that. But Kanora, what does that bring up for you? I'm just curious. What's the root of your passion? As you were translating that, I'm like, wow, this totally resonates with me and is exactly why I wanted to join the council. So for me, I mean, the suffering and enduring and my passion comes from really my personal journey around DEIB. And I'll, I'll use diversity for short, but just my personal journey, which ties into my professional of being a South Asian, lesbian woman, first generation, and what I went through when I was coming out and then how that played out in, over my career. The intersections there too, when you start cutting it up with other indexes in your identity, first generation, multi-ethnic, American, LGBTQ, and like Kanor, you and I are, I, I'm guessing by how great our skin looks, like we're in the rough same age generation. And when we entered the workforce, it was not cool to be gay or open. Am I right? Yeah. And it also depended on where. And that's, I think, a big part of it. And we always talk about looking at the culture. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, this was quite a while ago. And you had to think about, should I be out? Should I not? And how safe will I feel? And will I belong? Can you imagine you have to navigate that plus your outfit, plus your hair, plus all the work and the work demands of like, you're starting a new career as a consultant or wherever we all started. And then my identity, do I show it today or not? Maybe in California, it was different. But when I started the career journey in New York, they were not having it. Even in New York City in the 2000s, it was like that was a road I would choose to go down or not. So not to get all dark on us, but I don't know. That's like in our past and it's not too long ago. Mark, I saw you nodding. Tell me about your passion and where you enter the mix here. It's so funny you say that because I actually distinctly remember at some point, maybe in the last 10 years or so, having a sort of visceral reaction to gay being cool all of a sudden. Yeah. I literally remember having that thought. It's so refreshing to hear you say that. You know, when I spoke with Laura, I think the passion was a two-way street. I could feel it on the call. And I will tell you that the reason why I have just been incredibly passionate about DNI efforts, we call it equity and belonging at Zillow. I just love that term, if I may say. For me, it was just kind of being tired of being the only one. I think for me, when you enter into the corporate world and you're all of a sudden in a position of leadership and you're empowered to make a difference, you have the resources all of a sudden to make a difference. You've got leaders behind you saying, tell us what to do, you know, tell us how to make this better and we'll help. I think certainly that has over the past, I would say maybe 10 to 12 years since I graduated from law school at Berkeley, 
it has been a, an incredible passion of mine and any opportunity I have to make a difference on this front, I'm, I will raise my hand faster than anyone. So, <laughs> Mark, I love what you said about the visceral reaction. And I think that's an important part of understanding anyone's journey in all of the topics and identities of DEIB. I had the same visceral reaction when everyone in corporate America started putting pronouns in email signatures. I was like, hey, that was my secret queer club in Brooklyn in the 2000s where we all changed our pronouns. I've been every pronoun in the 2000s. And then I changed back. I switched back. I was like, hers fine in corporate America. And then when everyone just made it an email footer, I was like a little uncomfortable. And then a peer of ours, Mark, once turned to me at Netflix not that long ago and goes, hey, I'm so-and-so. Who are you? And I'm like, Jen. And they go, what's your pronoun? And I was like, oh. and I had this like oh, moment. And then I was like, wait, wait, wait. This is like community person. And I, I told them my pronoun, but it was a thing. And I'm just like so glad that we're all talking amongst friends here. Nobody's listening. Here we are in our industry trade group, like ready to shine a light on it and work with you all and use your powerful passion, stories, darkness to light, the only one to the leader one, like Mark, you just said, and to shine a light around our industry and go, okay, how can we impact some change? Sean, I'm not leaving you out here. What are you feeling? What is resonating? Where does your passion come in on this topic? What's the flame? I think two things. One, way too many people that I've known, know, love, family. My daughter's a lesbian. My wife is a woman of color. And the list goes on. Way too many people I've cared about that have had to endure all sorts of isms. So that's one part. And the other part, I know Laura and I have talked about this, so she's heard me say it. It's unfair, I think, for anybody who's been discriminated against underrepresented groups way too unfair for you all to have to do the work. You know, number one, that's not fair. Number two, if allies like me don't jump in, then we're not going to have the same impact. It's my responsibility. I love that. I love that. It's family for you. It's in your family and you want to uplift all the qualities that make up your family fabric and then be of service to the cause and allyship. I love that. And we need you and that, and we need this in every DEIB mix. This is not about only the one downers getting together in an insulated way, solving problems. It's get everyone in the mix, get everyone in the mix, in the mix. Laura, what do we think? Do I need to ask you about your passion? Your passion comes through the screen at me all the time. Oh, growing up, I had friends who were gay and, you know, it's funny, my father used to tease them, but those are the people that I was attracted to. Now, I'm not gay, but I love people that are. My sister, she was gay. You know, I have people in the workplace who are gay. Some of my dearest friends are. So I, like Sean, want to be an ally for those people. I just want to embrace everyone, irrespective of their differences. In fact, welcoming their differences and making sure that they feel like they have a place at the table, a seat at the table you know, a place in my life. So I'm all about everybody from all different walks of life, becoming one, complimenting one another, and just sharing your experiences to make us all better, you know, better human beings. So Laura, when you think about 
this group coming together, plus the other members who are not all on our podcast today. What are you guys thinking in terms of like, where are you going to start? What's on top of mind for you guys to solve? Are you going to comb through clocks policies and make sure at least those are good? Or are you going to go out into the community? Is it a mix of it all? There's like the internal focus you could do to the org. And then there's that outward facing piece. What are you feeling? So I'm feeling very excited. So the very first thing we want to do is meet with the full council, which we will do the first week in August. We have to get together as one, gel as one, and understand where everybody's perspective and priorities lie. And then we need to make sure that we are representing the entire 6,000 ecosystem of members of CLOCK to make sure, too, that they understand their voices are being heard and their issues. We see them. Now, granted, we won't be able to solve everyone's issues the first year, first two years, maybe for a lifetime. But we are going to make sure that we have three primary pillars, whatever those will be. And me as an individual will not make this decision alone. I'll need my counsel together to decide on that. But one thing we have to do from a clock perspective is make sure that we are tracking diversity for all of our members because we want to make sure that we're improving. And if we're not tracking or monitoring anything, we don't know where we stand. We can't benchmark. So that's one thing we want to do. And We want to make sure we're giving folks the tools that they need to do this work. And by that, I mean unconscious bias training, not just for this council, but for the clock staff and for board members. Many of the board members have already gone through this training. So it'll be a refresher for some of us. But that is my primary goals for this group. You know, I love a pillar. You know, I love a three-pillar strategy. Yes, yes, yes. You've been hearing my three pillars lately. I I love that. It's succinct. And life hack, people's brains respond to threes. So I love that you're just already getting ready to frame this up. On measuring membership, yes. I don't know that we measure that. And you know the famous Peter Drucker management theorist quote, if it isn't measured, it doesn't matter. So what a great place to start. Like measurement is a starting point and it counts. Yes. We want to be that catalyst for change. And we'll do that by bringing in the community, bringing this core group of 14 and really driving it. And on top of that, we'll need more than just the 14. Like I said, we interviewed 36 people. We will set up subcommittees. So each of these members, each of the 14 members will have a subcommittee focusing on different drivers, albeit Timekeepers, you know, a lot of us want diverse timekeepers working on our matters. So we'll have a group working on that. We'll have a group working on the LGBTQ stuff, people who are working on law firm engagements, law school engagements. So lots and lots of lots of stuff to do. So stay tuned. Amazing use of our 36 total members and like getting them involved still and like activating people. They're absolutely accepted. We just couldn't create. 36 immediate spots. That's right. Yeah, exactly right. And we were splitting heads right down to the end. I mean, really, it was no reason to say no. We wanted everybody. But again, too many people in the kitchen, you'll never get anything done. So we thought 14 was that magic number. It somewhat follows the almost pizza rule. It's like a functional work group size is one that can be fed with a pizza. Maybe they're all like, you know, lean California West Coast lean pizza people. They're eating like cauliflower pizza. This is getting skinny with 14 people, but it's the right group size. And we don't want too many more before 
it becomes unruly to manage and drive real change. I love this. I have kind of an edgy question. I think about this with the DEI numbers. When you talk about measuring the membership, what's the right number to strive for in terms of makeup of numbers? I was in a legal department once. I won't mention any names. I've been in several. And it was like, uh, I don't know, 60% women. And I'm like, that's cool. Conscious bias. I was like, that tracks for me. And they're like, no, it should be balanced with across gender, across ethnicity. Like, what will you benchmark to? I will go to the Mansville rule, which looks at 30% of your workforce being diverse. So that encompasses race, gender, ethnicity, so on and so forth. That is what our goal will be. Get into that 30% across the 6,000 members that we have. And then after we perfect that, along with training and everything else, we will build and curate a curriculum so that people can take this back to their workplaces and build out their own DEI program. And when I tell you we're going to make it a good program, we will. And so I'm looking forward to that. We already have clock members asking for that, but we stayed steady saying, nope, not yet. Because again, it's back to getting that council together to weigh in on what a curriculum will look like. And we'll need everyone's expertise curating this for our members. How many people here have started a DEI program? Everyone's hand went up here. You've all started one. That's amazing. Like from your legal corners of the world, Kanor, did you start the one at Elevate? I supported the group that did that. Yeah, it's called Synergy. And so that's one of our initiatives, our, our diversity initiative. And then there's just so many other things we've done that have touched on it. But like, if I just wanted to comment on something that Laura said around kind of the measurement piece, and you're talking about kind of what's that right number. Yeah. I mean, it's great to achieve X number, whether that's 30% or kind of whatever that number is. And I think what's really important is what you said about measurement is to kind of measure where we are today as an organization and then look at improving that because the numbers are not going to be perfect. And that's why we're here. We're here to help and to guide and like an Elevate, we have our equitability and inclusion report that we post on our website. Anyone can take a look at it. What we highlight, there's just the improvement year on year, right? And so I think that would be great to be able to support our membership with that is like, where are you today? And then give them the tools to improve on that. Yeah. Directionally better is a success metric if you frame it that way versus like trying to get perfection on Mansfield percentages. I love that. It's continuous improvements. And as long as we're doing better, that is good. Mark, thoughts? Your hand was up. You've started this stuff. You know, when I arrived at Zillow, the first thing I asked my general counsel, who I report to, and one of our one-on-ones was, what's going on? Where are all the people of color? Like, where are the, do they just like not exist in Seattle? The sort of position I kept getting was, it's Seattle, and we just don't get that in our applicant pool. So right then and there, I said... I'm going to make this a little easy for you. <laughs> I was like, put it in my hands. Let me take a crack at this and we'll see if improvement can happen. And I reached out to someone named Joel Stern at an organization called Nam Wolf, which is the National Association of Minority and Women-Owned Law Firms. And I said, Joel, help. <laughs> I need to make this better for Zillow. And Joel said, I got you. I actually am going to come in and I'm going to give a presentation to your entire organization on how to think about this and how to improve this. 
And when I say Joel came in and blew away the entire organization, I really mean it. And I think there was like a before Joel and an after Joel at Zillow. I want to say we have just hired our 13th African-American employee and now an organization of about 100 people. And so, yeah, to me, this was just a way to plug into the larger clock community and hopefully bring the same. Same building spirit. And it's kind of like a startup spirit, but like starting up DEI and like, how do you leapfrog and get an org like you're in? A little bit caught up with the times. Well done on that. Sean, where did you start a DEI program? At the firm you're at now? Yeah, and it was really after George Floyd's murder. I think so many of us who have observed it but weren't really involved, and that goes all the way up to our chairman, we were like, hey, we've got to do more. I raised my hand literally right away. I'll be on any committee you need me to. Whatever you want, I'm there. So joined kind of our internal DEI committee and was co-chair really from the, the first meeting. There were you know a couple of us that, that became the co-chair. So for any of our initiatives that we've tried, some that have worked and some that haven't, because that's the nature of it. But that's really what we kind of kick-started. Amazing. Crisis yields opportunity if we let it. And what a crisis moment in society that just activated a lot of people in the collective consciousness. Mark, to your point earlier, I was having a visceral reaction. Like, you know, I've been waiting for you all to wake up for a number of years myself on many indexes, but it really was a before and after moment as a culture and society. I just love, Sean, that you're one of those people that you ran into the burning building of the crisis and said, hey, I'm here. I'm here to do work now with you all and build, build towards a new future. Laura, you got yourself like the greatest group of builders here. That's right. And you only seen a snippet of them. Just a snippet. There's more to come. Wait until they all get together gelling and just exchanging all this energy and experience. It's going to be dynamic. I'm just super excited. I am so excited. You have no idea. I feel it through the screen. I have felt it in your emails, you guys. She's yes. been emailing all of us on the board, all caps. <laughs> There's this group. And we're all cheering you all on. So Laura, maybe now that I'm thinking about CGI 2024 already, but like, let's find a way to program with you guys something on the mic and the stage level where you come out and read something out at some point. So the whole of CLOCK can see you or members or certain councils or anything. I'm programming for CLOCK next year. Here we are. But are you into it? Definitely. We had hoped to do it this year, but obviously it took too much time to get it all together. But Definitely doing that. We will be front and center, introducing speakers on the stage, doing our own thing, giving an update, maybe even a town hall. Let's hear from everyone. What do you want to see this council do for you? We want to hear from the people. CC, Nicole Cote and Zafian, if you can hear us, we're, yes. we're riffing on ideas for next year. I love it. Laura, any closing thoughts or anything you want to share with us or the audience before we get out of here and go see Barbie? My very first thing I should have said was that I am so appreciative of CLOCK and the board's support of and their recommitment to DEIB. And I am honored that Mike Haven appointed me to lead this task. You know, I won't be able to do this without the 14 core leaders that will help me drive this initiative. 
But I will say, like I said before, this 14 are the 14 who will lead those subcommittees. Everyone will have an opportunity to be involved and engaged and really making sure that their DEI passion shines through. Congrats. I'm so glad it's you, Laura, and this great group. Come back on the podcast at any point. Also, we can hang with other members. We love to chat, as you know. Thank you so much. All right. See you all out there. See you soon. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. Thank you, Laura, Mark, Kinoor, and Sean, as well as the rest of the council and every one of our clock members who applied. If you're interested in volunteering to be in a work group of this DEIB council, drop us a line at info at clock.org. You can catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time.